Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Shadows of the Moon podcast, where we talk about everything from aliens to metaphysics, cryptids to cover-ups, witchy stuff to awakenings, and of course, the paranormal. And on the YouTube side, we throw some tarot in. And we do it all with you at shadowsofthemoon.net. Just head on over there, click the links, and go to your favorite podcast listener app. I look forward to seeing you there. everybody what's going on it is shadows of the mood and today is tuesday august 23rd and welcome thank you so much for listening how are you guys doing as always i would like to say a huge thank you to my supporters you guys are the best i can't even put into words how much you guys mean to me um, thank you so much for watching on YouTube and everyone listening to the podcast. I really can't thank you enough. And I want to say thank you to all who have donated. Please remember that all your donations go back into the show to buy materials, books, and so on to bring you the best show that I can. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do it a couple different ways. First of all, sharing, liking, and telling your friends is a huge way. And I get, I, you know, with sharing and everything, I'd like to get to know new people. Or you can head over to tippystream.com forward slash shadows of the moon or anchor.fm forward slash shadows of the moon one or buymeacoffee.com forward slash shadows. Of course, all these links are in the show notes and at shadowsofthemoon.net. So today we're talking about the Virginia incident. Um, but before we get started with that, of course, we're going to do the news of the week. And that would, <laughs> sorry guys, no, um, I was just waiting for my computer to catch up. <coughs> the first news item of this week is that a map shows evidence of a long-lost Welsh Atlantis. What? I'm telling you. A legendary lost land once thought to exist in Cardigan Bay has shown up in an old 13th century map of the British Isles. The legend of Atlantis certainly needs no introduction, but there exist several other lesser-known legends of a similar nature in counties in counties, in countries all over the world that continue to remain similarly exclusive. Not exclusive, elusive. <laughs> this is going to be a great show, guys. <laughs> Historians have been searching for accounts of the so-called Welsh Atlantis for years. And now, following an intriguing discovery on the 13th century map, they may have made a breakthrough. Known as the Go Map, G-O-U-G-H Map, after Richard Go, who acquired it from the from an estate in 1774, it appears to show two mysterious islands in Cardigan Bay that don't actually exist in the present day. The Go Map extraordinarily 
accurate considering the surveying tools they would have had at their disposal at the time. Um, the two islands are clearly marked and may comrade contemporary accounts, accounts of lost lands mentioned in the Black Book of Commercian. If those islands did exist, however, it is likely that they were lost to the waves long ago. Interesting, right? Interesting. So you UK peoples might have a Atlantis on your hands. <laughs> Pretty interesting. I love that. I love that. Um, and you can read more of the story and all the other stories with the links down in the show notes or over at shadowsofthemoon.net. The second story I got for you today is NASA reveals Artemis three lunar landing sites. So the space agency has announced details of several potential landing sites for the next manned mission to the moon. With the unmanned mission Artemis, Artemis, oh my God, Artemis one mission sent to launch when within the coming weeks, things are definitely hotting up with regard to NASA's efforts to return humans to the surface of the moon. While the first mission will only fly around the moon, the third mission, Artemis 3, will not only be carrying astronauts, but will actually land on the surface. So guys, here we go. Here's the question. Is this our first moon landing? <laughs> or is it actually our second? What do you guys think? I know some of your answers. <laughs> I know some of your answers. Um, if successful, it will see the first humans walking on the moon in over 50 years. Now, NASA has provided an update on its plans by revealing details of the 13 regions, each with multiple potential landing sites, which could play host to the next lunar explorers. The regions are all near the lunar south pole. And offer a wide assortment of geological, geological features for the astronauts to explore and study. So I wonder, I, two things pop into my head with reading this story. One, did China make friends with the aliens on the other side of the moon, on the dark side of the moon? So they said, okay, let the Americans come up. <laughs> I don't know. It's just something that popped into my head. And second of all, does this have anything to do with, um, I don't know if I brought it up, probably not, um, that they started growing plants. After all these years, they started growing plants with lunar soil. So we're not going to go up there unless we can get something, right? So I'm wondering if that, if that has anything to do with it. I don't know. Or like I said, China made friends with the aliens on the dark side of the moon, and they said, okay, we'll let people come up. I don't know. Um, so, like I said, the regions are near the lunar south pole, and NASA's Mark Kershey, Kershey, Kersh, <laughs> selecting these regions, um, he said, selecting these regions 
means we are one giant leap closer to returning humans to the moon for the first time since Apollo. When we do, it'll be unlike any mission that's come back as before as astronauts venture into dark areas previously unexplored by humans and lay the groundwork for future long-term stays. Oh, here we go. Mars isn't good enough anymore? What's that? <laughs> anyway, yeah, so what do you guys think? Did China make friends with those aliens? <laughs> That's all I could think about when reading that story. It's, I don't know. But anyway, our next story comes from, of course, unexplainedmysteries.com. New evidence suggests Howard Carter stole King Tut's relics. Oh, yes, my friend. A previously unpublished letter seems to support the idea that the tomb's discoverer made off with some of its contents. You know, sitting here years later, when I first watched, I think I was like in third or fourth grade, when they were talking about King Tut and the discovery of his tomb and stuff like that. And I remember being awestricken. That's when my love of Egypt first bloomed. And I don't know why I didn't think that the discover people that discovered it would steal some of the artifacts. I never, back then... I never thought they were my heroes. They were like, oh, my, I wanted to be them, you know. And, of course, as I got older, I wanted to be Indiana Jones and, you know, whatever. But um, I don't know. Looking back, I just never thought, like, a this person that discovers a tomb would steal stuff. But this day and age today doesn't shock me. <laughs> Isn't that weird? I don't know. Maybe it was just the bewilderment of being a kid and listening to the stories. But anyway, um, like I said, there are a few names in archaeology as famous as Howard Carter. The man who, in 1922, headed up the team who discovered the tomb of King Tut in Egypt's Valley of the Kings. Over the years, however, the Egyptians have become increasingly suspicious that Carter may have helped himself to some of the tomb's relics before the vault was officially opened. While evidence of this has been somewhat thin on the ground, a previously unpublished letter sent to him in 1934 could serve to prove his guilt once and for all. Now, this was written by leading philologist Sir Alan Gardner, and the letter concerns an amulet that Carter had given him as compensation for translating some hieroglyphics, right? So, when Gardner had showed the amulet to the British director of the Egyptian Museum in Cairo, he learned that the artifact was undoubtedly stolen from the tomb of Tut. And he wrote, I deeply regret having been placed in such an awkward position, he told Carter in the letter. I naturally did not tell Engelbach that I obtained the amulet for you. 
The letter would seem to confirm that Carter did indeed steal from the tomb. I mean, however, obviously, how many items he took, we'll probably never know. But that's crazy, right? I don't know. I just, it makes sense, you know, because you know that these, you know, they're going to the museum anyway. I mean, I don't know how all it works. You know, you discover something, you get paid for it, it goes to the museum, you never get a chance to see it again. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just talking out my ass there. But, you know, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's crazy, right? All right, our next story comes from Maya. And they're talking, Maya may have played ball games with the ashes of their cremated rulers. How crazy is that? Researchers believe that the ashes of a cremated Maya rulers were used to create rubber balls used in ball games. The particular claim comes courtesy of archaeologist Juan Yudan Anglo and his colleagues, sorry if I butchered those names, or that name, who believe that they have found evidence of such a practice at the Maya city of Tonia in southern Mexico. Multiple examples of such quartz have been discovered in the ruins of ancient Maya cities. That's really crazy. So they find these balls, and the analysis of these materials has since revealed that they contain the cremated remains of the city's leaders, and these would have likely been used to produce the rubber used in the balls. Depictions of these rulers found on the quartz themselves also add credence to this theory. Not everyone, however, is convinced by the team's findings. Some experts, such as anthropologist Professor James Fitzsimmons, he maintains that even if the Maya had used cremated remains for this purpose, it's highly unlikely that they would have been used, used the remains of their rulers. But as things stand, more information will be needed before it is possible to know for sure. But that's crazy. I mean, I wonder if, like, is it, like, I don't know. Is if like, they were known to play a type of ball game involving two teams of players on a court shaped like an upper class letter I. Um, so is it like tennis? And like, is this a big sport? That's what I would be researching. Like, is this a big, huge sport? Like, you know, here in America, it's football, right? Football or baseball are our two main sports. Um, and I wonder if they did that too. Although we're not going to cremate somebody and put it in our footballs and baseballs, but I wonder if they did that, like, if it's a huge enough sport to where their rulers, you know, everybody is kind of like the, um, the Romans with the, you know, the battles. Not the battles, but, you know, where they fight in that, what the hell is it called? I can't think. Um, where they fight the bulls and stuff. Uh, 
I wonder if it's like so hugely popular, you know, everybody gather around for the ball game. And it was an honor to them. I don't know. That's just crazy to me. Just crazy. I thought you'd find it interesting, though. And once again, the image of the carved carved face on the Martian rock resurfaces. So, this intriguing, intriguing photograph seems to show a carved rock face in the surface of Mars. Or does it? From a giant crab to the face of Beaker from the Muppets, <laughs> there have certainly been a lot of strange sightings on the surface of Mars over the years. With its barren landscapes strewn with randomly shaped boulders, rocky outcrops, and other, geology, geology, other features, it perhaps is not surprising that Mars is a prime location to see examples of pareidolia. Now, we talked about that many times on the shows, right? Where the human brains naturally, it's a natural tendency to see meaningful shapes in otherwise abstract patterns. But I don't know. This is, I'm seeing a face. I mean, obviously, it could be pareidolia, but... It, like, not only am I seeing eyes, I'm seeing a cheekbone, the nose, the mouth, you know. I don't know. It'll be up on shadowsinthemoon.net, though. Um, So, in this latest example of how easily our minds can be fooled, this image was captured by NASA's Curiosity rover back in 2014. And it shows what appears to be a carved face, like something that could be a part of an ancient statue. In reality, of course, it's simply a random happenstance of shapes and angles, but it is interesting to see, once again, just how easily such things can be picked out of the surface of another world. I don't know, man. I'm telling you, it looks like an Easter Island type thing. Head on over to shadowsofthemoon.net and check it out because it does look like an Easter Island, well, not so much, but it looks like one of those statues. (laughs) Anyway, and the last story for our news of the week comes from TikTok. Yes, TikTok. But it's interesting. So I was reading this article, and the thing is, is like, woman claims that her bathroom wall is bleeding. Right? And I'm thinking TikTok, woman says her wall's bleeding. I'm thinking rust, right? Something got wet. And we've we've experienced that where rust has ran down the walls. Then I watched the video and it doesn't look rust colored. <laughs> it looks like blood. Um, even the thickness of it, not the first part of it, but it when you she goes to the other side of it, it's got that thick type texture to it. I don't know. But it says, a TikTok user attracted several million views after posting an update of a blood blood coming out her bathroom wall. There have have been many recorded cases of bleeding walls and statues over the years, mostly in relation to claims of divine intervention, paranormal activity, resentment, 
residential hauntings, and other similar items. This latest example comes from courtesy of TikTok, the user Lexi Ray, who attracted a lot of attention when she posted. Sorry, my dog was making some weird noises. She posted up footage showing a strange red fluid leaking from the bathroom wall. She maintained that she had lived in the property for over 20 years and have never, has never seen anything like this. The blood that appeared for the first time the night before and seemed to be dripping down from behind the bathroom cabinet. However, upon opening the unit, she demonstrates that it's coming from a crack in the cabinet itself, not something inside. The wall is definitely bleeding, she said. This is strange and out of a horror movie. The clip, which can be viewed, like I said, I'll put the link over to shadowsandmoon.net, um, has racked up over 5 million views. And like I said, when I first started reading this article, I'm like, oh, it's rust. It's rust. The screws got rusty. Something got wet, dripped down there, and it's bleeding. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then I watched it, and I I don't know. I'll have to watch it again, because now that I said that, I'm like, could there be a filter on it? I don't know. Check it out. Let me know what you guys think. Is it bleeding blood? All right. So now here we go with what you've been waiting for. I'm going to take you back to January of 1996. The mood was upbeat for a small Brazilian town in Virginia. They had just had New Year's, and they were excited because there was a carnival being planned coming in February. Now, Virginia, Brazil, back in the 90s, was up and coming. It was an up and coming town, right? Local employment was basically mostly, based mostly in the coffee trade business. Other than that, it was just a quiet little town where nothing ever happened. However, on Saturday, January 20th, several events happened, and those events shook this community to its core. It began in the very early hours in a farm situated on the outskirts of town. Enrico Rodriguez, who lived and worked as a farmhand, with his partner, Orlina Augusta, was awoken around 1.30 a.m. to the unsettling sounds of panic. Basically, they woke up to the sound of their livestock going nuts. They initially thought that one of their animals had escaped or that maybe that there was a predator on the prowl. So getting up to look out the window what do they see? It was an actual UFO that was freaking out the animals. So what they initially said was that they saw a gray submarine-like object in the sky. They said it was about the size of a small bus. And of course, it had no lights whatsoever, and it was completely silent. They said they saw the craft for about four or five minutes before it disappeared completely. Now, they didn't report their sighting to authorities because, you know, for the fear of being ridiculed or labeled as hoaxers, but unknown to them, at that time, the ramifications of what they had just seen would not only hit home, 
But a few days later, they would read reports of possible UFO activity and even alien sightings in and around town. There was one account that stood out amongst all the others, and it came from a pair of sisters who lived with their mother in the hilly, suburban outskirts of town. The Silva family resided in Santana, and the ages of the girls were 14 and 16. Valquira and Lalani Silvia were beginning to mature into responsible and reliable young adults. Now, hours after the Rodriguez and Augusta sightings, these girls met with their older friend, Katia Xavier, who worked as a cleaner nearby. The three of them would regularly walk home together. Who knows if it was a case of safety in numbers, or maybe they just happened to enjoy each other's company. This day, however, they decided to take a shortcut home through a small woods. And these woods basically separated their two neighborhoods. And after walking through a section of the woodland, they arrived at an unintended field. But suddenly, they were startled by a strange-looking entity that stood less than 22 feet in front of them. There was something crouching down near a wall, which was which they initially thought was some kind of animal. But its appearance and its odd behavior really unnerved them. And as they approached the creature, it turned its head in their direction. And they stared directly into the terrifying bright red eyes of this creature. What it did or where it went after that point is not known. Because needless to say, the girls immediately fled the scene. And, I mean, who could blame them? Now, when they got back home, the Silva sisters were said to have bust through the front door in floods of tears. And they even said that Lilani was inconsolable for some time. So when their mother asked them, what they see? What made them so upset? They told her, we saw the devil. Now, it wasn't long before the local press got wind of this, and by following the, the following day, Brazil's most-watched Sunday TV show, Fantistico, announced the news that an extraterrestrial being had been spotted in Virginia. Well, when this got out, locals were talking about that there had been multiple sightings of aliens roaming the streets during the previous day. And of course, the town was confused and concerned, and the majority of the residents were just trying to piece together exactly what happened. Their friend Katia later gave a description of the creature. She said it was a small, emancipated, non-human, a non-animal being with brown skin and oily appearance. It had an overly large head with three round protrusions, protrusions, excuse me, that could possibly be horns on the top of its skull. Other people came forward to say that they had witnessed further alien or UFO activity, 
And according to some reports, as many as 200 residents had given accounts at the time since the event. And many of the ones they said that had seen extraterrestrials, they were basically matching the same thing that Katia had said. Even some military and government personnel began to come forward and give their versions of the events. And of course, their identities have remained anonymous for obvious reasons. There was a military base very close to the farm, and it's pre presumed that this is where some of the information may have been leaked from. One source in particular revealed how the aliens were rounded up and captured like aliens or like aliens, like animals, by the military and firefighters. And they were done so through the woods and under cover of darkness. Some say, upon capturing the aliens, they said that to, um, they were making some kind of buzzing noises, similar that, to that of a beehive. There was even suggestion that the military took the aliens by road to Brasilia, and then secretly dispatched them to the U.S. by where they were either killed or dissected. Other, another interesting yet confirmed claim involving the U.S. suggests that North America Aerospace Defense Command actually issued a warning to their Brazilian counterparts, Syndacta, about an hour before the sighting at the farm. Apparently, the United States government had intelligence about a possible UFO landing somewhere in the state of Menza Jaras, and they had tried to pre-warn the Brazilian authorities. I mean, who knows, right? If the United States was involved with it, it wouldn't shock me. But if this is correct, it supports the Rodriguez and Augusta UFO sighting near their farm, and adds weight to the claim that the aliens were sent back to the U.S. Although never validated by the farmhands, a government source has even said that a cigar-shaped UFO crash-landed in a field just outside Tres Corcoras, and that he was part of the cleanup operation to remove the debris. I mean, a crash certainly seems more plausible extraterrestrials roaming the countryside rather than UFO having simply dropped them off and left them behind. Although, that is what happened to E.T. <laughs> of course, most of these reports are unconfirmed and it's difficult to tell between what is true and what is fabricated. And the thing that makes it even harder is that many of the eyewitnesses only came forward after the televised report of the sighting. By the three young women. So are they just simply jumping on the bandwagon? Or did a UFO land and possibly even crash in Virginia during the night? Now, there was a part-time ufologist and resident of Virginia in 1996. His name is Abrejera Rodriguez. And he worked hard on this case, looking for new leads and this thing's suspected, you know, looking for hot spots across the city. He had worked with Vittorio Beccaccini. The pair have got, um, they garnered valuable insight from key witnesses 
including Katia Xavier and the Silva family. Here's where it gets interesting. I mean, everything's interesting, right? But in February of 1996, a couple weeks after the alien sightings, the Silva family received an unexpected visit from men in dark suits. Hmm, wonder who that could be. Their mother, Louisa, arrived home to find the men already at the property and having a conversation with her daughters. They asked the girls if they were willing to deny their sighting of the alien. The men offered a large sum of money, but left without identifying themselves. Could this be the famed men in black? Could they have been involved in this case? Well, sounds to me like that would be a yes, but that's just my opinion. It certainly seems so. So if Louisa's story is to be believed, but given their somewhat fleeting and relatively unnoticed appearance, what was the role and just how deep is their involvement in this case? But that's how they work, right? They come in, scare the hell out of people, and then leave. Although I've never heard of them talking about money before. I don't think any of the men in black cases that I've talked about or read about or wrote about had anything to do with money. Let me know in the comments if I'm wrong. I don't remember hearing that. If you've ever heard of men in black telling somebody about paying them, let me know because I'd, I'd love to hear it. With Rodriguez, there is question about his early work, like how the aliens were able to travel around the city, how were they captured by military and disposed of without there being any public outcry. And while many people claim to have seen either the aliens or they saw military presence, no one claims to have seen any of the events that took place between the two. And now Rodriguez's ufology has been critiqued. Like some people testifying that the firefighters assisting in the capture of the aliens. But it's important to consider that like many countries, both the fire service and the police in Brazil are an extension of their military. But however, despite compelling testimony from residents a wealth of international attention, and even an endorsement from the city council, the Brazilian government maintains that it did not facilitate the capture of extraterrestrial entities. But, a, but then, of course, if they would have, it'd be given the potential ramifications of admitting such a thing would be nuts. So if there's no supernatural occurrence took place and that it's all merely the product of hysteria hearsay and conjuncture, what was it that the little girls saw in the woods that day? I will say that I did watch the video of them in their interview and they, I mean, even talking about it years later, 
you can tell it still affects them. Katia and Silva, the Silva sisters have remained steadfast in their recollection of the events, and it has to be said that their account seems genuine, and the manner in which they tell their story is very convincing. When re revisiting the area in Woodland with Rodriguez in 2003, the women were said to be visibly upset, and I think that's the interview I saw. But if the official reports are to be believed, basically the creature they saw was nothing more than a case of mistaken identity. So the theory goes with their story is that the young women were simply spooked by a deformed and malnutritious homeless person. They say the disproportionate thin body and due to the description of the alien says it goes with this notion and that it is thought that the brown skin may have been from either being covered in mud or too much exposure to the sun. All the internet sources vary. I mean, they go back and forth. They do have the homeless man's name from Little Louie to Mud and D, Mud, Mud and Ho, with some sources even claiming to have photographs of this man. And I do have the photographs, which I'll put on shadowsofthemoon.net um, under podcast talk. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. What expand if it was by design, rather than default, the city of Virginia has been able to benefit so greatly from supposedly an arrival of otherworldly beings? This event has assisted in the city's sustained growth and prosperity, helping small, the small town become a vibrant commercial and culture center. And it's easy to see why many people view the events of January 20th, 1996, with such skepticism, saying it was all a well-orchestrated, orchestrated, you know what the word I'm trying to say, hoax engineered toward that goal. And then it's, Thanks to widespread media coverage, this has received international notoriety. And of course, an influx of alien-related tourism. In fact, in fact, since the events of 1996, the city has remained very much in the supernatural spotlight. Like in 2001, they constructed a 20-foot high water tower. Its name, I'll put in the show notes, but I'm not going to try and butcher it. <laughs> that, anyway, it's a disc-shaped monument to commemorate the event. And in 2004, the town also hosted a ufologist and researchers from across the globe when it held the UFO Congress of Virginia. But I will say, the influx of tourism as a result of this event should not automatically delegitimize the claims long held by residents of the city. There are examples of other towns which have succeeded following supposedly supernatural activities, such as Point Pleasant and, of course, Roswell. The simple truth is that so many believe that something out 
of the ordinary happened in that small town back in January of 96. And whilst it's possible that some eyewitnesses' accounts were fabricated, surely not all of them were. With all things considered, we are no more qualified than anyone else to say what we did or did not happen. We weren't there. And it's been more than 20 years since the incident took place. And unfortunately, these girls will have nightmares for the rest of their lives. I honestly don't think that this was a bullshit story. The look on their faces, like I said, I'll put the link on shadowsandmoon.net. To see the looks on their faces, yeah, I believe they went through something and it damn well wasn't a homeless man. But now I turn to you. What are your thoughts on the matter? What is your thoughts on the story? What are your thoughts on the men in black offering money? That's the only part that's weird to me. I'm not going to lie. But what do you think? Did this really happen? All right, guys. That's all I got for you. I hope you enjoyed this. And uh, I really want to hear from you, especially about the men in black. That's just so odd to me. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's a Mandela effect. Maybe they've always offered money. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, like I said, I hope you enjoyed this. All the links will be down below and over on shadowsinthemoon.net. I hope you have a wonderful Tuesday and the rest of the week. And I will see you here next week for Shadows in the Moon podcast. Again, thank you so much, guys. I appreciate each and every one of you. And remember, find something today that makes you smile with your eyes. Bye!